But I think if there's kind of one topic takeaway from this podcast, like this is the one people should really listen to. In 2023, 2024, you cannot build a successful product for the quote unquote Web3 gamer, for the existing Web3 gaming audience. Your business is going to fail if, if you're trying to do that right now. Everyone, and welcome to a new interview as part of uh, Crypto Girls podcast. Uh, we also do The Tavern, which is a, the Shark Tank show. We haven't been here uh, for a long time. Actually, it's, it, it's the first interview we do for, for a while. Uh, the reason is the following. We've been working extremely hard to launch our own game. Yeah, actually, we did launch a game. Uh, it's a new genre of game. It's a, a meta game. And the concept is simple. We have 1,000 heroes. These are NFTs. And they can complete a quest each month in a new Web3 game. So it's kind of a cross-game adventure where by completing quests, heroes get rewards. And in a business level, that's our way to kind of tackle user acquisition. We gamify game discoverability, we incentivize it, and we bring users to different games every month. But we're not here to talk about that today. We are here to talk about... Uh, all user acquisitions, not just these innovative ways that we're trying, but we want to learn more. I know there's a lot of game developers uh, in the audience that are struggling a lot right now with user acquisition, especially in Web3. It's extremely hard. And we'll discuss that with uh, experts. So uh, we have Warren here from Uptick, and I have many questions to ask you. But the, the very first one is, uh, who are you? Pretty simple. Hey, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. Really excited to join today. So I, I do a few different things um, in my uh, free time. I also am a builder in Web3. I'm part of a small game team called The Scrapyard, building like a Web3 car battling game. Um, but my main gig and my main focus is I'm the co-founder and chief growth officer at a company called Uptick. Uh, we do what we call games growth. So this means two things. We uh, have an in-house software team. We build unique tools and tech to help with user acquisition and the related functions. Um, but probably what most people know us for is for doing uh, the actual growth marketing work for game teams. So our portfolio is about half and half traditional games and games using Web3 tech in some way. Um, some of the games that we do user acquisition, creative and analytics functions for uh, on the mainstream side, we launched a Disney game last year called Disney Mirrorverse that did quite well. There's a big game called BitLife we've been working on for a few years that does about 50 million players a year. That's probably our, our largest current game by player volume. Um, but we're very serious about Web3 and games using Web3 tech. Um, on that side of the business, our clients include Polygon, uh, Immutable, uh, Blockchain, uh, Mistin Labs, the, the team behind Sweet Blockchain, and then uh, individual game teams such as Axie Infinity, um, Battlefly, Blocklords, uh, to name a few. I won't, I won't do the whole list, but um, as you can probably sense, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty deep across gaming. And uh, I'd say specifically we're passionate about Web3 because... We think that there's been a lot of a big lack of innovation in what has driven the hits of gaming over the last few years. And while we haven't had that breakthrough yet in Web3, we're placing a bet that the next kind of kind of class of breakthrough games are going to be using Web3 tech in some way. Okay, that's actually perfect because you're in so many places. You're you know everything that's happening behind the scene, and you'll be I think able to provide really valuable data for. For everyone, I just want to know as well uh, how how long have you been in this industry and the gaming and and, and especially in the growth uh, side of gaming. 
Yeah, I have been in performance marketing of different types. Um, hmm. Now, since maybe 2000, 2009 or so, uh, I started doing it. Um, my, my other, my prior life was more on the creative side of filmmaker and touring musician, uh, actually. And so needed some other employable skill to make cash. So I started doing different types of performance marketing, kind of mercenary style, always been a big gaming nerd. Um, and as I kind of got my skill set up, I started hitting up game companies and saying like, hey, I'd love to do what I do for you guys. Got hired by one, which was a division of uh, the game company Wargaming and kind of never looked back from there, stayed very focused in gaming. Um, and that's that's really what, what Uptick does. Like we don't try to be a kind of like a general marketing agency. We just try to be the best team and products for if you're scaling a game. Okay, fantastic. So you, you, you've seen a lot of evolution in space, you've seen the rise of, of mobile, you've seen like many evolution in, in the in the sphere and yes. how it how it impacted the, the growth, the user acquisition, the attention that that we need. Okay, that's fantastic because for instance, me, I I didn't work in the in the user acquisition business before, I didn't work in the gaming industry before. I was doing something else. And I know a lot of people in the crypto gaming sphere also come from no proper gaming background. So can you tell us uh, how, what I, will, what I would like to learn is how is user acquisition working? How, how it's been working before, for instance, for uh, mobile games and how it's evolved right now. And basically, how do you define what is a good user acquisition strategy? Does it depend on the game, on the support of the game, on the technology, on the IP, on the side? What are the kind of main criteria you decide, okay, we're going to do this instead of this, uh, etc.? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, so maybe we'll start really zoomed out. So we try to think about user acquisition in kind of some general principles before getting into deep specifics. Mm -hmm. And the way that we identify that is what we call the three pillars of growth. And these uh, you can think of as like parts of the body. So traditional, what you would call user acquisition or the kind of the marketing operations, the pulling the levers, setting up campaigns, that's the, that's the first pillar. Mm -hmm. that uh, you can think of that as like the arms of the body. The second pillar is the creative function. So any, any user acquisition, any marketing, the top of the funnel is the creative that you're producing. A lot of companies think of it as an afterthought, but it's actually potentially the most important thing because that is what you're actually pushing out towards a potential user. So this is like the heart of the body. And then the third pillar is uh, data. So data meaning a broad way, it means the analytics, the models you use for your marketing, how you're measuring, how you're dashboarding, um, the uh, what you do with the data, building unique tools and processes to give an edge for your marketing over your competition. But that's uh, obviously like the mind of the body. So we have the arms, the heart, and the mind. And when these things work cross-disciplinary, that's when you have an effective marketing stack. So that's kind of like high level how we think mm -hmm. about it. How deep down the rabbit hole do you want to get on specifics and where do you want to go from here? Okay, I, I, that's, that's a very great overview, actually, to, to start with that. So through this great principle, uh, a gaming studio uh, can be a huge one, it can be a small one. They come to you and you already always apply this kind of three pillar to really understand where you're, where you're going to go. Now, if we go a little more uh, uh, in depth, if we, if we try to look closer. So would you kind of say you have a stack that is applicable to specifically free to play mobile? Uh, do you have a stack that is applicable uh, specifically to... Uh, a big uh, like console IP or big uh, PC IP and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So this kind of goes one layer deeper of like, okay, high level, these are the three pillars. What does it actually mean? 
for games building on technology, different technologies, different platforms, different genres. So to start with the two you said, and maybe we'll go into Web3 from this, mm -hmm. for mobile, that playbook is like extremely established. Mobile, uh, while still for us candidly is the biggest revenue source for our business because it's where we have the most hit games today, uh, it's very copy paste with the strategies that work. Obviously the nuances of the type of creatives that you're working with, the data of each individual game, is the, the players that are interested in each game is, is quite nuanced. But the marketing channels that you're gonna be using, the optimization strategy, the KPIs for success, the dashboarding you're using, um, the cadences for optimization, what's automated, what takes human work. This is very copy paste as far as process. It's kind of a paint by numbers, but the, the colors of them will be different depending on the game. Um, I'd say free to play mobile is kind of the most mature market for performance marketing because we had perfect data for a long time. Mm -hmm. With the new iOS privacy restrictions, that really threw a wrench in things. Now we have imperfect data and you need to kind of model off of a subset of users that agree to be tracked. So without getting too into it, that's part of our tech side is like how to work around these new privacy restrictions in mobile. But that's kind of the playbook for mobile. Let's go to PC now. Mm -hmm. So that's like another subset of our games. It's interesting because PC is actually, it's the oldest market. I'm kind of lumping PC and console together here, but it kind of has the worst uh, data availability, or at least it's much worse than mobile. Um, it's a space that was built largely off of brand marketing, unmeasured marketing processes, you know, buying magazine ads, doing big events, uh, conventions, working with influencers and not really measuring things, but it's a space that's maturing. So we see... You know, it's been a rough time um, the last year or two in the game industry and for tech overall. And we've seen an interesting trend of more PC and console teams reaching out to us and like, hey, uh, we have a more limited budget. We have a lot of eyes on it. We didn't even make sure we're using it wisely. We're measuring everything. So there's now more providers on the tech side that can give you the data piping to measure all the performance of your PC console marketing in a way we couldn't a few years back. So we're kind of seeing that catch up. And a lot of the processes that worked and were proven out in mobile free-to-play, we're starting to see, and our team has been adopting for PC. It's not one-to-one, -one, and there's a lot more mm, unique about every stack for a PC game because uh, we don't have the walled gardens of uh, Apple and Android as the only distribution platforms. You could do Steam, you could do Epic, you could do some of these emerging like Web3 or hybrid distribution platforms. You could have a direct download, uh, you could play in a browser. So it's a little messier data stack, but mm -hmm. once you can get that sorted out, the underlying principles are very similar. Do you want to go to Web3 from here? Or? <laughs> we're, we're, we're jumping yeah. in Web3 in, in a okay, minute. Cool. Uh, actually, I, before jumping in Web3, I want to know, so I understand very clearly what you explained about the mobile, then you have the PC, so it's slightly different uh, in the way you will apply uh, your, your growth strategy. Where do, do the influencer strategy makes most sense. I assume it's going to be PC, yeah. but does it make a lot of sense right now? And it's growing of like the importance in growing or it's not so important. Yeah, it's a great topic. So we think about influencer strategy in kind of two high level buckets. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that we always leverage very aggressively for every game we work on these days is um, UGC content. So this is using influencers and content creators to make very compelling ads and then using those ads in performance marketing channels. This is a killer tactic. It's not crazy expensive because you don't need the person with the biggest following. You can essentially force the following by putting the, the ad through different advertising channels. And if it's a compelling personality, someone who's visually interesting, attention grabbing, um, it's often the highest performing subset of, of creative. So it's a big specialty of our team. 
And we have a few people on our team that are big content creators and influencers themselves. So they really understand what works on TikTok, what works on Instagram, et cetera. So that's kind of the, I'd say the safe bucket that should be mm-hmm. part of every go-to-market plan for a game in 2023 or 2024. The other side is what we'd call like the more traditional influencer marketing. This is kind of, you're paying for two things. You're paying for the type of content that they make, but you're also paying for their audience. Mm -hmm. This is a little tricky. It's an important lever. Most teams are probably not implementing it optimally. One thing I'd recommend is you still want to measure it one way or another, but you have to also, similar to like the iOS privacy restrictions, you have to acknowledge you're not going to get perfect data with influencer marketing. You still want to do things like make unique tracking links for every influencer you're working with. Um, apply some sort of heuristic for like uh, you know good a good ratio is like in 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 a standard uh, influencer engagement maybe one out of five users use the actual link that is part of, that, that that is given to to that influencer and the rest just hear about the game and download it otherwise that's fine you still want to measure it next to like say your Facebook ads but you just know that you value each of those dollars as five dollars very rough heuristic so I do think people should explore it. Um, I recommend getting quotes from a few different influencer agencies and talking to them about how they they measure and quantify their success, but it has a high barrier of entry. Um, I would say most teams, you're going to be spending kind of like mid double digits, at least to dip your toe in influencer. So I wouldn't recommend it for every project. It's kind of like the, the uh, more of a wild card. It'll either really take, or you might feel like it's the worst source that you made. So like for a bigger budget game where you can experiment a lot explore it, quantify it, treat it like its own channel. If you have tighter budgets, you might want to start with something, you know, where you can more tightly control the budget, like traditional performance marketing channels. And then as you scale the game, potentially explore influencers. And I I realized I didn't talk to part of your question. I think it's valid for mobile PC. It helps the more coverage your device has. Because, or sorry, the more devices that your game is compatible with. Because when you work with an, if you're an influencer and I'm paying for you to make content with me, you're not going to give me a discount because my game's only available on iPad. It's going to be the same rate. So you want to make sure that you can leverage the highest percentage of eyeballs possible. Um, so that's another kind of signal if, if you should engage with influencers. Can I play your game on every major platform? Awesome. Then it's going to be a better fit for in traditional influencer strategies. Okay. Okay. Super valuable. I, I mentioned that before diving into Web3 because I feel that the... So the, the Web3 gaming, we're, we're diving into it right now. The, the UA, the marketing, the growth, all of that is very messy. It's wide west right now yeah. from, from what I see. Uh, it came from crypto native people. It came from crypto Twitter. It came from cri- crypto chillers, influencers. And that's where the culture began. So of course, now we're still influenced by this kind of culture that has a lot of impact, at least in the way the users, the players, the game studios themselves, they see they see it and they think they should advertise their game. Uh, right now, the, the the fact is that because of the problem of compatibility with different platforms, because of the time to develop, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, not much is happening to attract mass users. So the the, the teams they are kind of uh, trying to get to attract like crypto native gamers. It's a very very small audience yeah. uh, that is potentially not big enough to like your genre of game. 
like maybe they like uh, gaming but there's not enough that like like your your tcg you know it's not for everyone so it's just too small so but but still that i feel and i see many teams are kind of desperate and just trying to get their users here because simply they're not compatible with the ios uh, or, or apple stores are not compatible mm -hmm. with steam or epic or whatever so they need to do something they rely on these influencers doesn't work so well mm -hmm. uh from what i see from from some it works it's working actually But 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 yeah, I, I feel like right now there is this existential crisis of what can they do or can they even do anything or were they like these game studios that develop their game with a very uh, blockchain uh, um, focused from the very beginning? Are they are they doomed for now? Can they do something? What is your opinion on that? Yeah, the, I, I'm glad you brought this up. I think if there's kind of one topic takeaway from this podcast, like this is the one people should really listen to. In 2023, 2024, you cannot build a successful product for the quote unquote Web3 gamer, for the existing Web3 gaming audience. Your business is going to fail if, if you're trying to do that right now. Um, there's a lot of products that built during the bull market when they thought that trend of adoption um, and kind of the predicted trend of Web3 native gaming was going to continue. Um, I mean, 95% of that activity is gone right now. So, you know, why why are we focusing over half our business on quote unquote web three web three games? I think we need to separate out this idea of the mythical web three gamer and that there's hundreds of thousands of them that you just have to you just have to reach them, you know? Because mm -hmm. there's there's not. Practically there's not. The games that have hit over even just like ten ten thousand players, it's because they're expanding the audience in some way. Like Axie, to take an example of a breakthrough game, now a few years you know, past their initial breakthrough, they didn't get it because they made something for Web3 gamers. They made a game that used Web3 tech in a novel way and brought people into Web3 for the first time. And I think that's something that's really lost on people. They're just they're thinking that they can capture something that candidly is not there. And so what we really advise is this very small but important segment of Web3 gamers, they can be a step. They can be like an early adopter, give you early feedback, uh, and can be advocates, but you cannot make a business off of it. So it's like the first step on a long journey that will market to this small subset. But we straight won't work on a game if that's the intended audience. Um, there's not, you're not going to get a multi-million player game in, you know, in, in this era if it's for that audience. Now, what you can do Like our, you know, I'll, I'll give an example with, uh, you know, uh, for Immutable, they're launching Guild of Guardians. This is going to be a free-to-play game that's accessible on iOS and Android, has Web3 elements, you can use their NFTs in it, but it doesn't force you out if you don't know anything about it, you know? And this is sort of the model that I'm most excited about is a way to use Web3 and digital collect collectibles and the things you can do in an economy with this to further engage your most enfranchised players, to get them to be more active in the economy, more active in the game, something to aspire to, an item to chase. This is, I think, the obvious use case in kind of this era is making your current, like improving game design, improving economies, and improving collectible components of games with Web3 tech, rather than saying, oh, there's money in Web3 gaming. There's this like untapped audience of Web3 gamers. Like that's just not a thing. Okay. What are, your, what are your thoughts, Jeremy? I, I, I think what you say is very true. I agree with uh, the first statement that building a business just for Web3 native uh, audience uh, as a gaming business this year, probably not going to work. Next year, probably probably not. I mean, it's it's so dependent on the on the crypto conditions, basically. If there is a bull market, there's millions of, of eyeballs that's going to come, a lot of awareness. They will need 
this product because they will want this product and that it's but it's it, it's too entertaining you cannot wait for that to happen you need to do something uh in 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 between but so okay let's let's have this radical thinking then i'm a game i'm developing a game i i've raised some money i started as a web3 game like pitched on tokenomics whatever mm-hmm. uh i'm in this situation right now i have let's say eight 18 months runway still what do i do do i uh i mean i'm a uh, let's say a, a pc game or even a mobile game doesn't matter but mm-hmm. uh do i remove all uh, web3 elements because basically you, right now it's either you go full web3 or or if you do not then you need to go full web2 and and the ua is a gross is another game you don't go on twitter you don't care about twitter you go like acquire normal players and you remove all the crypto blockchain elements and and hopefully later on in the gameplay user will discover it and and you'll bring it back but so would you advise these games to do that to just say okay let's cut the loss right now it's not going to happen just go full web 2 and do something cool first or no yeah let's uh i i want to dig into that a lot but let's let's kind of kind of zoom out one level before that and talk about why so many games are in this position right now because mm-hmm. i see this all the time in teams i meet um one thing that became very clear in the funding cycles for web3 games was the vcs were forcing token-based economies into these games like literally you couldn't get funded and we know so many great game teams that did not necessarily want to do a traditional token-based economy they just want to use web3 tech but they had to shoehorn a token economy into the game to get funding because the crypto vc world they want that quick exit liquidity that a token provides so they would make it a requirement the other side of this i mean can you name any games that have like sustained in any meaningful way a, a token price like we have like unless I've missed it, I ask everyone this question, unless I'm missing it, like every token based game economy has completely collapsed to a fraction of its intended value. Yeah. Yet we have this ecosystem, we have the VCs forcing game developers to adopt this uh these handcuffs of the token economy, even though there's literal zero examples of success of this. So now you have all these games that are in positions like what you described, which is like shit, we have, you know. 18 months of runway, what do we do with our remaining funds? Um, because we can't raise in the Web3 native and maybe traditional gaming investment doesn't want to touch this because we're crypto focused. So it's it's really tw- tricky. So what do you do? What I would do, um, there's a few things to keep in mind. Accessibility is probably the number one. And that means a few things. First is like, am I making my game for the maximum available install base? If I'm putting all this work of design into it, Am I going to be available on iOS, Android, PC? Because it's quite foolish, I think, to make intentional design decisions to say, I mean, even at a high level, I know some some of my favorite games are, like I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3. You can't play that on your, your iPhone. But there's a lot of games where they just kind of default to like, oh, let's build a browser-based game. You've already made a horrible decision because you've cut off like you know maybe ninety percent of your potential install base by cutting out those people that only play on mobile. So first, I'd, I'd say like, is there any way that we can pivot into being a more on more platforms? Uh, the second thing is accessibility of like who can jump in and play. Can my aunt play this? You know, uh, does someone if if it if it's like you have to buy the NFT first, you have to bridge and create this wallet. All right, you've already making a n- number of other horrible decisions. So. 
what I would see is how much can I pivot into a free-to-play multi-platform game that has a opt-in Web3 component rather than a forced Web3 component? How can I salvage what was cool about my original uh, you know, digital collectibles-based economy and make it into something that complies with Apple's evolving uh, what NFT policy with, with Google's evolving policy? Because they are all getting more friendly. Steam is still pretty firmly against it, but Epic is, is quite friendly as long as you disco- disclose. So I think that's where I'd first focus. And then I'd, uh, I'd, I'd first on the product side, and then second would be a mark on the marketing side. You know, are there free ways I can leverage the, you know, the small but powerful Web3 gamers at, to bootstrap a bit or to get my early adopters? And then can I adopt like a proven performance marketing playbook uh, to take my now more accessible product? And maybe I only have, you know, 300 grand to do a launch. Can I use this in the most effective way possible so I'm measurably getting more than that back and continue to bootstrap from there? So easier said than done, but that's kind of how I would uh, triage that kind of situation. Okay, that's actually perfect. And I want to go just a little bit further. Like, let's uh, finalize your example. You have 300,000 for your launch. You're in the situation you exactly described. How do you you deploy this capital? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, So... I think there, there's a meta choice you have to make, which is, am I going to try to do this in-house? Am I going to try to do it myself or with a small team I hire? Uh, or like, do I want the marketing to be part of my core business? I obviously have a very vested interest in someone working with a partner like Uptick, but like, I'll try to be as frank as possible. If you have a small budget, if you can just get like a, a badass meta Facebook, Instagram buyer, that's often the channel that you should start with. And it's a relatively easy channel to learn. There's a lot of publicly available materials. Just focus on that. If you want to build a game that has, you know, 50 million players in it, you, you're not going to hit that just with you know, Facebook. Oh, and the other nice thing about Facebook is if you get good at it, you can likely get good at TikTok as well, which is mm-hmm. another immensely uh, important and very profitable channel for most of our games today. So I'd say that's path one. Part two is you say, if you like believe you have a hit game on your hands and you don't want to say, build out an entire marketing org and you know adapt a massive burn rate for the both the tech stack and people, the human resources you need for creative, for data, for user acquisition, then you would look into partners like Uptick and basically like outsource growth to a proven partner. But big word of caution, like most agencies just suck to be candid. I mean, this part of, I, I, I cringe when I describe Uptick as an agency. I try, try not to. Be very careful, like interview past clients of that agency. If you are thinking of working with the agency, most of them are motivated just by ad spend and they will they will tell you good news when there is only bad news. So make sure that yeah. whoever is managing your budget is like acting with aligned interest and is mm-hmm. going to tell you if something's not working. Because the final step is like, do we need to like cut losses on this game and move on to the next project with our remaining funds? Um, and that can be a risk of working with the agency as often yeah. they will never tell you that. Yeah. Like, oh, look how good the click-through was on this ad and kind of focus on, you know, nonsense top of funnel metrics, kind of putting under the rug that like, oh, almost certainly this game is losing money. Okay, very, very good advice. And uh, very simple question. I'm curious if you do, in, your, in this situation, you do Facebook ads, TikTok ads, do you... Like ever mentioned blockchain, crypto, or never? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the policies are evolving a lot. The short answer is like, don't lean heavily into it. Um, 
But is it even a good USP? Is it a good even marketing point to mention? Well, we've we've learned some interesting things, and it depends on it depends on when you're listening to this podcast and what the current <laughs> macro uh -huh. conditions are. Because like in in closer to the bull market, we found for one of our games, we did some split testing of the same ad, but mentioning NFTs and removing it. We th we thought because mainstream gamers have so much vocal hate for NFTs that the ads calling out NFTs would do worse. Mm -hmm. It was the opposite; they did better. Um, I think this is because it's something where the loudest groups are the haters. Mm -hmm. But when something is talked a lot in public consciousness, people have innate interest to it. And I think at this point in the bull cycle, the hate was at its most vocal, but also a lot of people were kind of shyly interested and wanted to learn more. Uh, I'm projecting a lot here. Like I'm not going off of data, but you know, that's that's kind of how what we attributed to it. Now I would probably just avoid NFT and blockchain language. Like mm -hmm. it's it's not something where there's a lot of curiosity about it right now. Um, so I would focus on what's fun about the game. You can allude to things like you know, unique digital collectibles, um, but the for the target market that's gonna make a game a hit, like that market is not gonna value the jargon that we use within the, the Web3 uh, ecosystem. There's a secondary thing, which is like policy-based stuff. Most of the policy, most of the platforms are evolving to allow language around Web3 technology and NFTs. They're realizing it's not innately evil, but what you should always, always, always avoid is anything that speaks to like financial opportunities or financial gain. Um, that's like the quickest way you can get your account banned on most platforms. Okay. Uh, now I want to come, come back a little bit to the more uh, Web3 native audience. So you mentioned things that are very important and I think everybody needs to be realistic about it right now. Basing your game on this audience only this year is not going to make it for sure. Uh, but you also mentioned a couple of things like starting, bootstrapping with a community. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it's still interesting to engage with kind of a Web3 native audience? How would you do that? What Do they play like the role of uh, early supporters, kind of mercenary, even though they are kind of incentivized in a way financially or through kind of they they think like the rewards they're going to get are going to be valuable at some point. So how do you approach this audience? How do you, do you use it? Do you need it even nowadays or not even? Yeah, it depends on the project. So we will not, and, you know, we talked, we started this off by talking about like the copy paste strategies for mobile for like, we don't really see web three as a platform, more like a technology that you may choose to insert into your game. Um, so, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples um, for uh, for a game that's a mobile free to game, mobile free to play game with brand new IP that has like a opt in Web3 element. This might be one like if your primary audience is that uh, traditional gamer, I don't think you need to go hard on crypto native, you know, working with like crypto influencers partnerships, which we, we love like Web3 partnerships marketing, like that's that's a bread and butter, but it's got to be right the, the right product. Um, conversely, uh, one of the upcoming launches we're working on is uh, there's an upcoming game called Forgotten Runeiverse based on Forgotten Rune's Wizards Cult by uh, partnering with a developer called Bisonic. Um, this is one where we are uh, really leveraging Web3 because it's uh, IP with a lot of respect, uh, the Forgotten Rune's Wizards Cult, and it's something where we started putting out feelers to potential partner communities. People are really excited about this. Um, so that's one where we think, you know, for those that are active in Web3, it checks the box of both being a IP that's relevant to them, having a game design that's relevant to kind of the hybrid um, 
player slash speculator that a lot of Web3 gamers are today uh, and has, you know, it, it, it checks the boxes of like, it's, it's the right brand, uh, it's the right game design, uh, and it's something that will still be appealing to enough of that segment where we think it can be meaningful. So we won't recommend it for every game, but like, that's a game where like, we all kind of agree, like, oh, this is one that the community will find appealing. Okay, I'm saying that because I think there is no playbook so far, but we there are some experiments here and there that proves very uh, uh, like successful, even though we're yeah. in a very tough market. I, I'm thinking about the the friend that tech, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. Saga that's happening right now. It's not a game, but it's gamified, and and it, it yeah, it's it's uh, interesting for the crypto native people that are just bored and wants things to do. Their whole blur marketplace, where every like basically right. flipping NFT as a game. Uh, this so this is a bit more different than traditional gaming, or cannot be approached this way. But I'm also thinking back to uh, the sewer pass experiment from the mm -hmm. Board Eight Yacht Club. This was tremendously successful, like in financially at, at least, with a small set of users. With a, so this could work, and and if it works, it's it's extremely uh, powerful. But there's no playbook, right? And and you say that you should not try to replicate it as a game. This is not something you try to 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 aim for. You can make quick wins that way. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's a decreasingly small audience. Like it's not going to be. It's it, we will have another bull cycle. I think ultimately, like the the interest in Web three gaming will grow. We'll get more mainstream. The thread amongst every project you just mentioned, Jeremy, is they all had a speculative element to those. They're also all the carrot of financial gain as a primary motivator. Um, and this is kind of the, the box that, you know, let, let's be honest, like the web three crypto communities, everyone is struggling right now. Mm -hmm. We're seeing like weird phenomenons, like, uh, you know, co-hosting AMAs has been traditionally a big part of our strategy for games that we're launching. We'll get the founders of the game we're working on to share the stage with other, uh, game founders and community founders. A lot of these communities are starting to ask for money, like straight up, like, hey, you want to share a stage with us? You got to pay yeah. because they need revenue. Royalties have dropped off. Um, and it's the same thing with people that are like full time, you know, crypto Twitter, full time in Web3 uh, as personalities, like they need revenue. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we see these things that have a carrot of financial gain as a motivating factor still doing OK in this bear market. It's a bit out of desperation, even um, what we're not seeing is like projects where fun is first, um, really doing super well amongst Web3 natives right now. Yeah, I agree. I think crypto Twitter is, I mean, crypto gaming Twitter is, is, is becoming a bit depressive and ugly in these times. It's mm -hmm. not the, the most uh, pleasant. You, you, you feel that people are not healthy right now and struggling. Right. But at some points, there's going to be, okay, so there's going to be potentially a new bull market. We don't know when, we don't know how. If this happens, uh, most likely there's going to be a lot of awareness and a lot of people coming and they're going to be attracted with heavily financialized systems. It can be DeFi, it can be all of these things, it can be GameFi as well. So really, this audience will want some product that are, in, in my opinion, and you, you can think completely differently, mm -hmm. uh, games, like proper games but with heavily, heavy tokenomics, heavily financialized, heavily, like all of this, uh, it's kind of this new genre of game that we we saw the beginning and then there's not enough players, but probably they'll come back. And, and these are maybe short-lived games uh, because 
everything had like shown to be a ponzinomic so far. Mm -hmm. But do you think that there is a future there that is more sustainable? Do you think that there some founders that have a lot of money should still experiment in in that space, or what do you, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, short answer, no. I think that that was largely an attribute of the kind of the 1.0 of you know, what you call like the GameFi era of Web3 mm -hmm. games. I think we'll see GameFi really kind of be a footnote in the history of, of Web3 games. Of course, there'll be some breakouts relative to that, especially in the next bull market. What I do think is um, a good area to focus that's related to that is is collectibles in games. I've, I've referred to this a few times, and we can see proxies for this in traditional games like in my free time, I'm a big um, Magic the Gathering player, and mm -hmm. they just did this like Lord of the Rings magic set, and it was huge amongst news and pop culture that there was this one of one card of the One Ring. Um, you know, a, 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 a guy opened it. He's like a forklift driver in Canada. It was a huge news story. Post Malone ended up uh, buying it from him. It was all over. Like everyone was talking about this. Everyone wanted to have that Willy Wonka moment, open up the one ring, you know, and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, have that super rare item that was valuable. And Web3 is extremely well equipped to do digital versions of this that are more scalable. Um, and that's something where there's sort of, yes, there's a financial undertone to it, but it's would be way less exciting if there was like, you know, uh, you know, a $10,000 in, in, in cash in a, a packet like that's that's more transactional it's more generic so i think this is the related thing uh i'm i'm very uh bearish on games built around you know established tokenomics models uh, again back to that idea that none of these have worked for gaming so far um it's quite uh you have to be quite delusional to think that you will be potentially the one game that gets it right when now what thousands have failed before uh, and this is no shade to people that are working on it. It's just, I think my main advice is don't look at the people before you because none of it's worked out. You need to have like a new take on this uh, of some kind. Um, but yeah, I, I do think rare digital collectibles and and gamifying uh, collectability in new ways with blockchain tech, like that's what's really exciting to me. That's kind of tangential to that. Okay, that's good. I <clears throat> I think that some people hearing that, it might be the the cherry on the cake for them and, and they, they might give up after after your talk so maybe you're gonna save some people sometimes and money a little bit uh but and i, I might be wrong like i I'm, i would be very know. happy to be wrong in this case but yeah you know I, I i tend to you know watch patterns and i you know i i participated in a lot of these game economies as well too but after getting rugged like the 20th time and mm. seeing like the same patterns of the hype cycle and then you know the, the player base being used for liquidity and then projects either failing or even if they were financially successful the the founders you know cashing out and abandoning the project you see that so many times and it's clearly like not a healthy ecosystem we're not training the right habits by like these funding models anyway i'll end my rant there <laughs> no, i think there's a lot good. to be optimistic about in the <laughs> game like i'm like terribly optimistic about it and uh i do try to give a little bit of tough love to some of the founders i talk about of just setting expectations especially in this market i think using your funds remaining funds wisely is crucial to survival and it really is all about survival right now okay do you believe in the in the thesis of the decentralized player identity the on-chain identity of players and this unlocking i'm talking the, this they're on the ua business uh completely new uh ua strategy completely new way to attract to get to users 
through this kind of decentralized player's identity, wallet addresses, owning this amount of, of uh, assets from this game, from this game, etc. Do you believe in these thesis? Yeah, I think it's super valuable, honestly. I think players don't give a crap about it today, but I think it's already starting to matter. So uh, I'll call out one emerging ad tech company that I'm quite bullish on what they're building, which is, um, they're called Addressable. So they use on-chain data for user acquisition purposes. So you can use their, um, for, for example, if I'm launching a game and I want to go after that early Web3 adopter audience, rather than just, you know, using interest-based targeting of people that, you know, say they're interested in, in Bitcoin and gaming, I can do very granular things such as people who have written this exact function to a gaming contractor hold these specific gaming assets. And I know that might not sound exactly like what you asked, but to me, that is sort of what the decentralized gamer profile means. It means that you can have this, but it's both anonymized, but highly granular ways to identify patterns across gaming um, for players that then make for like hyper-efficient user acquisition because you can make sure, I mean, a very easy thing to do is like, if you have a game that requires people to have a wallet, only target people that have a wallet, you know, that have ever written a contract function just by like doing that level of, of narrowing down, you're probably making your marketing budget immensely more effective. So that's, I think some of the early primitive use cases of this like decentralized player profile and how they can be valuable for uh, marketers. Okay. Okay, fantastic. I, I would like to talk much more, but I, I think we we're going to get to the end of this interview. It's extremely valuable. Actually, I have one last question, which is more a personal question. I ask it to mm -hmm. everybody I interview, and I call it the, the meta question. Uh, it's just me. I'm curious. Um, so it's the following. Uh, if life is a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level? Oh, geez. Um, I love this question. On on one hand, I I I feel like you know this is kind of tangential to to Web three is an example of this. You you think you know something. You think you know your industry. You think you know yourself. It might be your 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 like I've had breakthroughs in the last few years of you know my my health, my my body, you know how I work as a marketer, my just me being a manager and a leader, how I treat other people, how I treat my spouse. And it the the older I get, the more I feel that I know nothing. So I think I was much cockier early in my career. I mean, I can still maybe some across, come across as cocky and overconfident if, if people are hearing me for the first time. But the older I get, the more I feel I know nothing. So I, I think, you know, even if uh, we live to, if we're lucky enough to live to age 100, I think even then we might only be even for myself at level you know twenty out of a hundred by then. So I'll I'll put myself at like level uh, fifteen on the spectrum of what people are capable of. But I think you know a lot of us uh, sell ourselves short and don't reach our full potential. You know, so keep keep learning, keep evolving, stay humble. Generic advice: stay hydrated. So, <laughs> the stay generic hydrated. crypto Twitter advice. And, and and how do you win the game? Uh, I'm stealing this from, I think it was Alex Hermosi that said this, but uh, it, I think about it every day. Um, you know, the way you win the game of life is you keep playing. You know, the, the goal of the game is to keep playing like the it. game. And I think about that all the time. Um, it's very motivating for me. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much for this answer. It's very valuable. A lot of interesting insights you gave us. Uh, very interesting as well. And, and the light, last part, like more personal. So, uh, yeah, we'll have all the links in the description so people can reach out, uh, follow you and find you, I guess, on LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe. 
Uh, so we'll put all that in the description. It was a pleasure and see you for an interview, everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye.